Welcome to The Current Thing with me, Nick Dixon, where we talk about the culture war, politics, and anything else that comes up. And we have another great episode because we have, we ha- well, we had Reform UK, and now we have someone from the Reclaim Party, filmmaker, former TV director, podcaster, and all-around legend, my friend, Mr. Alex McCarran. Welcome to the show, Alex. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Cool. So you're like the filmmaker and secret kind of genius behind everything at the reclaim party is that fair to say um i wouldn't say there's anything particularly secret about it um <laughs> but you know we're churning out the content as it is and then we've got some really good stuff in the pipeline because uh, we, we want to move towards more of the kind of documentary style side of things which is great because it's what i what i like to do yeah how do you get involved in reclaim um i was I'd worked a little bit with Martin Daubney uh, and then he asked me to come along to help out Lawrence a little bit in when Lawrence was standing for mayor uh, and just, you know, I kept on doing more and more little jobs for him and then he said, you know, do you want to come work for me all the time or most of the time? And yeah. so I was like, mm, yeah. And that's that's Lawrence Fox for the listener living in a cave. What are like what are the goals of the Reclaim Party? And, and is it like a real party, or is it just like Lawrence Fox's kind of project? It could just be called the Lawrence Fox Party. Um, I think that the goals are in general to change politics, and I think it's one of many aspects of a kind of generalised um, fight back uh, from. I, w- I wouldn't even say from the right exactly. I- I'd more probably say from the anti-woke libertarian liberty side of things. Um, and in terms of what what we're doing, um, I think it's fair to say. I don't think I'll get in trouble with saying we've we've been very open. We're not going to stand sixteen hundred people, six hundred people in in six hundred seats. Um, but what we are interested in doing is making a noise, making a fuss, and putting people in in interesting places interesting people in interesting places basically all right and so you had reform people had blinder on from reform and she was and she was saying i think they are going to stand seats with reform pretty much everywhere stand people yeah. around the country but you're being a bit a more big, big fan of belinda i work with her a little bit she's great oh cool yeah she's great and we've got richard ties coming on may have already been out by the time this comes out we don't know but we want to do reclaim as well as reform and so what like do you think uh, personally then, or as a reclaimed person, that we need proportional representation in the UK? Um, I'm, I'm really torn on the matter, to be honest, because I think if you look at places that have proportional rep- representation, their politics is just such a disaster. You know, you have your Italy's where, you know, the um, coalitions upon coalitions that last you know eight months and then there's another election and no one can get overall control unless there's some kind of you know monster like Berlusconi um but and 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 then often they end up being very technocratically led but on the other hand you could argue that well we've kind of got that anyway you know Sunak was the the technocrats option but when you think about it um I think in 2015, UKIP got 
what five million votes something like that and yeah if you go through a lot of the seats on wikipedia which i have you've got ukip you know in second place in a lot of them and and really pushing hard for for second if they're not even second and to get um what you know zero votes out of that seats sorry zero seats when i can't remember who made this point i heard it recently but this this the smp got you know a million or two votes and they got 50 seats it, it, it's it's absolutely very small <laughs> yeah and so i think it would be good if um you know yeah if, five million votes two yeah. seats this was just a, an article from the guardian in 2015 so yeah five it, yeah. million votes two seats a bit harsh isn't it yeah and and you know one of those seats was douglas carswell who's like a, a really special politician you know so and in we we had him on uh the lawrence fox show the other day because uh, i'm always interested to see what he's got to say and in a way it was quite he was sort of quite inspiring he was saying well you know lawrence you just have to keep going for it because and he sort of saw he he says yeah it is an insurmountable obstacle you know the kind of political system but that's not a reason not not to go after it yeah yeah it's impossible but let's do it anyway yeah, yeah. Now, it kind of reminds me of the debate between Carl Benjamin and, and Peter Hitchens on Twitter where the two stances were Peter Hitchens the country's finished you know full stop and Carl it's finished but let's give it a crack anyway because I'm an optimist like it's, it's like a kind of Beckett big, Samuel Beckett thing like you know you just can't go on and then you go on it kind of reminds me of that did you see the the program they did after that where I think it was Connor and Dan were talking about that that incident and they were saying how how much they admire Peter Hitchens and how they got loads of his books in the office how they really like him and you know oh yeah I did see that but he he hates us And yeah, yeah. I, I think it's funny how I mean I I think Pete Hitchens is is quite special as well, but yeah, it's funny how he's I think he's 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 almost more at home talking to Navarra Media Orange Jones than um, people on on his side as it were. And I know, he, but he, he actually realize... he didn't hate he didn't hate Carl. He hated EA. He had some frosty exchanges with some of the Lotus Eaters crew, but actually Carl towards the end it was it, it sort of thawed somewhat. But yeah, no, good point. He he did an interview with Navarra, with Aaron Bastani. He's done two with Owen Jones, and it's weird he gets on better with them. Yeah, and he he doesn't realise perhaps that he has this kind of young fan club. But after preaching to them that you know the best strategy is to leave the country, that uh, you know actually, well, you know, twenty of them set up a media company in Swindon. Mm-hmm. He's like the misanthropic uh, granddad that you you like anyway. Not like my granddad, who was never actually nice, but you just love him anyway because it's, it's granddad. <laughs> no, I, I like Hitchens. I've had some good exchanges with him, and I've read his books, and especially Rage Against God, Abolition of Britain, absolutely brilliant. One of our great writers and, and journalists. Well, what I like about him is um, I've, I've had a couple of conversations with him, um, and they're, init- they're initially about sort of practical matters, um, like media kind of work stuff. And then it just kind of go, turns into this conversation about history and, you know, Stalin and Lysenko and, you know, 
what, what, why was it that Stalin trusted Hitler when there's the one person? You know? <laughs> and I, I love, I love those people where you, you can kind of drift into conversation like that, and to drift into interesting conversation, like yeah. like we're doing now. Yeah, yeah, we're gradually drifting into, into interesting conversation. We'll get, we'll get there. Um, I think the. Uh, yeah, the hilarious thing about Hitchens as well is, I've, I've said this before, but like everything is a sign of cultural decay. So I might have said this before somewhere, but I, I was on the Carl podcast, but I was zoning out listening to the abolition of Britain on Audible. It had been on for too long or something. And I thought, oh, he's talking about the internet. Like, and then once it, you know, it was invented, everything collapsed. And I suddenly realized he's talking about television. <laughs> With the advent of television, it was basically all over. And, and then Carl goes, no, no, I can up you one on that. Central heating. There's a bit in the book that I somehow miss where he's like, with the advent of central heating, the British family declined. There was no need to sit in the same room anymore and the family became atomized. It's all like, <laughs> and then I was trying to top that. I was like, the advent of the chair was really the end of Britain. People's spines ossified as quickly as their spirits. And it, that one's made up, but it's a fun game. Like, what can't Hitchens say <laughs> is a harbinger of doom? Crop rotation in the 14th century, that one. <laughs> yeah. With the advent of agriculture, people no longer had to hunt and they became weak and their spirits were crushed. Yeah, I, I know what it was like. People, <laughs> yeah, people I was used there. to hunt. Why are you telling me? Yeah, yeah. I don't recognise the country anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't care what happens anymore. I, I'm nearly dead. Yeah, he's, hopefully we'll get him on, but I'm actually too scared to get him on. I could probably get him. I see him at GB, but I'm just too scared that I'm not ready and that if he tells me off, I'll just be like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Hitches. No, well, he does do that. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah uh, he, he will. It's quite a high likelihood. It's not one of my made-up fears. Um, Alex, yeah, I don't normally... post all the other ones. Yeah, well, I've got quite a lot of neurotic fears that I'm working on, but this is a very... It's like, imagine I go to the therapist. I've got a fear of Peter Hitchens chastising me. That's just a memory, Nick. That's just a, that's just a very likely possibility. <laughs> um I normally wait, actually, to ask the question, is the country finished? But since we've drifted into that, I always ask this because we've had various replies and Jeff Norcott was saying, no, I don't think it's finished. Positive, optimistic country and Belinda was optimistic at Reform UK. But um, Callum from Lotus is not so optimistic, partly because of the housing crisis. And I've realised it comes down to whether you own a house or not. But what's your view, Alex? Is the country, UK, England, Britain, whichever you prefer, finished forever, doomed, like I claimed in a Substack article? Um, I think it is and it isn't, and I, that's such a crap answer. But I do get Callum's thing, so I I do have a house, but it's a fucker to own. Um, it costs a fortune, and our childcare is a fortune as well. And the the the, the sort of aspects of if you take Liz Truss's premiership. She wanted to reform childcare and cut tax a little bit, and you know, basically, the the, the government imploded. You know, the the blob was vexed and attacked, and I think that one of my worries is that when Starmer gets in. Um, it's not not exactly him because he's a completely incapable man, but the machine that comes in with him is a little, little bit like the Biden administration. Mm. Um, and the machine that comes in with him will will entrench uh, a lot of the problems that set that sat that when the rot set in in the Blair years that the Tories have been unable unable to fix uh, will just become totally entrenched and there'll be nothing left. So. For instance, 
one of my big bugbears, and I don't think it's something that people really uh, understand, is the extent to which we fund this giant third sector charity sector, which is effectively like a tumour on the country that's metastasizing all the time. And so uh, I think it was Chris Snowden made a point about childcare reform and the BBC went to some kind of national childcare union or something that was screaming blue murder at it. And this reform was simply to sort of change the number of kids that um, a, a childminder can look after in the nursery. And it's currently one carer to three kids. And Hunt wanted to change it to four or five or something, I'm not sure. And it was, but it was bring it in line with Scotland. And people were going crazy about it. Going, oh, this is impossible. Oh, the child, all the children will die. It'll be awful. And when you dig into the funding of that group who was giving that comment, it's you know once again taxpayer funded. And you look into um, how childcare works in Europe. You know, in Germany, it's like ten kids, or or even there's no limit for every nursery person. I think Sweden it's eight or ten. And so it's like everything seems to be sort of so regulated and there seems it's almost as if any kind of libertarianism is, is a dirty word. And the sort of the country survives economically on housing bubble, cheap labor and the finance industry in London, you know, and a bit of tech. Um, but really you know, any kind of healthcare reform, just to bring this country in line with you. I mean, that's another irony. It's like, since 2016, all we can hear from the intelligentsia class is how this country could or should be like Europe. Um, but the idea that we can make our health system like Europe is just impossible. It's fascism, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was always that irony with, the, with Germany. It was like, Germany is doing so much better with x and y usually covid you know germany's so much better our nhs is amazing and perfect i'm like well which is it yeah it's like we love europe and the eu but our nhs is better than europe is it but it's obviously not well in in a way that kind of highlights what wokery is for me because sometimes there's one of the little tricks that the woke will do is say we'll define woke like a rhetorical trick as we were talking about earlier and I think for me, wokery is, is, it's a mistake to think about, think of it as a coherent ideological framework. It's actually a set of virtue positions, right? So, and they, they all kind of work, they're constantly shifting in priority, right? So, um, so we've recently had a shift in back to Russia being the bad guy, okay? And partly that was because there was a very coher coherent, uh, sorry, concerted campaign to blame Russia for Brexit and Trump and stuff. It's a total conspiracy theory. At the same time, with things like healthcare, um, there's the subservient, uh, the idea of actually having good healthcare and learning from our neighbours is subservient to the idea of the NHS being the you know the most respectable thing we have and i think part of that comes from it's the only way that the left can experience patriotism 
and then but then that kind of crashes in to the um the matter of britain is inherently worse than europe right so, so, so but the problem is these two positions are so contradictory that it match it's like magnets repel and so i see wokery is this it's like a constant it's almost like spinning plates or something like that just to kind of move and warp together yeah, it's like a, kind it's of, like a mario <laughs> platform game as if the platform's moving around in the air yeah yeah that's that's what it is that's what i think it is and so i think to answer the question is the country fucked i think it, it is to the extent of like these these little wiggly worms the, the platforms are kind of subsuming the whole thing um you know and you know i i think i think de demographic change is, is totally inevitable as well i mean but on the one hand you could say well it's always been a kind of elemental force but then on the other hand i think well actually um if you look at what gets the views in your YouTube videos, your podcasts, your substacks, if you put as your title for your video article, the, the country is the social collapse, you know, demographic bomb. So like you'll find your views are huge. Yeah, I went with England is lost forever. And that was my biggest substack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just put a substack saying kill radio for bury nice. radio floor and salt the earth because um, you can't go halves on these things and i think there's some ways in which our side can end up being a kind of inverse greta i like to pronounce it greta because it makes me seem more sophisticated yeah and you also show the correct respect for saint greta greta, greta. Is this, is I, I made it sound italian greta yeah. <laughs> it's like well, i call it i like to call it ikea because that's what they called it in Holland, where I used to live. I'm What's, I don't even know what the word is there. What word are you saying? Ikea. Oh, Ikea. So they uh, called it Ikea. Ikea, okay. Um, yeah, so, so Greta. <laughs> yeah. Um, so sh her spiel is basically, I had an argument with this with some friends over the weekend. Uh, she thinks human civilization will end within 30 to 50 years, unless we return to a kind of pre-capitalist barter system and then all, all kind of technology, all kind of uh, locomotion, uh, internal combustion. Yeah, there was that deleted tweet, wasn't there? Sorry to interrupt, but there was that deleted tweet. It's going to end. It was posted in 2018. We've got five years. If it's if fossil fuels doesn't something or other, we've got till June basically for the world to end for her to be proved right. She deleted yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, but I think I think there's that side of us that that side is in 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 our side, you know. So um, there's a lot of people who thought that the jabs would kill millions of people, and yeah. were, but, but they didn't. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I, I didn't get the thing myself, like, and, and I don't think other people should. You, you um, wouldn't be on this podcast if you did, Alex, it's pure bloods only. There's a test. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, um, it's like, the inverse vaccine mandate you know other other places had to have the vaccine mandate to work but but here you need it the, the other way but um I just realize if we stick this on youtube we have to bleep anything that says the oh, word. God, i'm not yeah. going to say Sorry. the word again yeah. the safe no, I, I know we, we have to do the same like it's uh, it's such a pain in the arse. um i'm not going to go there again um but the point i'm making is that there so actually let, let me make that point in another way 
um, there is a kind of aspect on our side that the cabal or whatever it is will subsume everything that we have, everything that we hold dear, that we're basically going to be enslaved, that we're run by these kind of Lovecraftian beings of some, for some form in, in a shadowy room, and that um, you know we're all going to be kind of digital currency slaves and all the rest of it. I kind of see that as implausible as the Greta stuff in a way. I mean, I think that it's healthy for us to move it. I think it, on balance it's healthy for us to think about those things and think about, you know, what would a digital currency look, look like? You know, what, what, like Dan Tubb makes a great point that a lot of digital ID, digital currency, they might be okay now, but they're only one software update away from being tyranny. And I think that's really important. But at the same time, I do kind of wonder about this tendency to catastrophism that we've had very, very strongly since since 2020. And I can get it completely because I went through a whole pit of sadness during the whole lockdown thing. Um, not just for the lockdown itself, but I was genuinely terrified that we would never get out of it. And that was because... A lot of um, a lot of prominent people were were ba on on the pro lockdown side were saying we'll have these restrictions forever, and you know I remember Susan Mickey saying it on a on an interview. So a member of the Communist Party of Great Britain and a member of the SBIB of Sage, the Behavioural Sciences part, you know, saying it and and not being challenged, you know, and and and. And when Desmond Swain would get up in Parliament and say, government advisors saying that we'd have these measures in perpetuity, the minister didn't get up on the dispatch box and go, it's okay. You know, I mean, the only person who fucking did it was the Queen when she said, we will meet again. Um, none yeah. of the Prime Minister, I mean, lockdown three was the worst because it was like, don't call us we'll call you like we're not telling you when we're getting out of this and now i i you know i, I i'm okay because we got out and we all did and my son is living a nice childhood but i think some people that pit that that, that was we got put into uh people are struggling to get out get out of yeah yeah and it did feel like that and of course you did a podcast called escape from lockdown and um it, it did feel like we would be trapped and and if we didn't want the safe and effective treatment we were like will i have to have a passport will i be allowed in society are my family going to speak to me i didn't dare tell some members of my family about it it's like will they put me in a camp i wouldn't put it past certain people you know it, went, it did go very mad and some people didn't recover and they still they thought it was going to kill millions and they went really down the conspiracy rabbit hole to where everything's fake like the Will Smith slap, I saw someone like sharing a close up and there's like a thing on Chris Rock's cheek and it's all planned. I'm like, the slap was not planned, guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some <laughs> things aren't planned. I was very much like, I'm not taking this safe and effective thing. That's my own choice. But nor do I think it's necessarily to kill everyone. You know what I mean? So, which is what I said mm. to you on your podcast, Escape from Lockdown. I'm a conspiracy moderate. That's where I coined that term. And I think we, we kind of exist in a similar place there because, so I do this other podcast, yeah. as you know, with Toby Young. He's obviously team Toby because he's Toby. Then there's James, who's team James on the London Calling podcast with Toby. But then there's team Nick, which is somewhere mm. in between the two. 
Which is, yeah, I'm not sure dinosaurs did exist, but I'm not making a big thing of it. <laughs> I, I, I don't think Paul McCartney died in 1966 and was replaced by a ringer, but I do think the World Economic Forum is a bit dodgy. And is that, is that roughly where you are? You might not be with me on the yeah, dinosaurs. Well, I, well I, I, for a while now, I've been calling myself Team Joby, which I find one, one part Team James and three parts Team Toby. Nice. And I, I think that's a good place to be. Um because, I mean, I, I schooled James on this stuff. I mean, I, w- I was the first one to tell him about, like, things like 9-11 and stuff like that. And um, he he had no idea. He hadn't heard you know of it. I mean? He did <laughs> in the main instant. But, like, he didn't... I was like, you know, some people also... Some people also think <laughs> that this other thing happened. And um, he's like, N- no. And, and um, I felt... When he goes, I just feel like saying it's a little bit like a band that you're into when you were younger. Because when I was 16, I think, I did a school assembly on the Bilderberg group. So I was going to ask you about that. You told me that. Because we were saying that we yeah. had been red pill for ages. So you were you were the original red pillar. 16, school assembly. Yeah. Guys, it's all Bilderberg. 2002 in Surrey. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was... And the thing that you find, so uh, John Ronson made a really good point about conspiracy theorists, which is that they don't do the legwork. as They get everything from just what they see and they kind of just invent it. Whereas if you've been a kind of proper journalist as I have, um, you know, I've, I've knocked on people's doors whose kids have gone off to fight with ISIS to try and get them to, you know, come on television. Um, I've, you know, tracked down people and uh, the sort of basic journalistic stuff that, any, that, you know, people do it in various different ways. They work their way up for the local papers and have to do this stuff. And all of that's kind of gone now. And to be fair it's gone in the mainstream as well where sort of standard journalism involves kind of aggregating sort of five tweets and then like, yeah that, that's that's my article that's my story um and i i just but but it is a good interesting point and so so a good example of that is how last year i was filming when lawrence and harry went down to see this guy in hampshire this former soldier who got arrested yeah, just for the listener, obviously and, Lawrence Fox and Harry, uh, former Miller. policeman. What, sorry? Harry Miller. Miller, that's it. Sorry, I forgot his name. Harry Miller. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, so so basically, for listeners who don't know the story, this guy, he was a former um, soldier and he, he was part of a Facebook group and he put on uh, this uh, series of four progress pride flags that have been inverted in a certain way to look like a swastika and um he he put it on this uh chat this facebook debate club i think and said you know what what do you guys think of this um because it's been shared a bit on twitter um and they came after the the police came around his house he was away they came around again uh, and then after that time he contacted us because he was aware of what we do and so we went out and then our plan was just to kind of burst out the kitchen go ha you're on camera camera Harry was going to go look you can't do this and they were trying to like threaten this guy with a 60 pound fine 
uh, and the kind of some kind of conviction or something i can't remember exactly what you have to check the the film because that's got all the legal details so legal legal fuck off <laughs> this is just my my memory of it it's not exactly it um and then but it definitely was a six pound fine and all that and so harrow's going to present him with like you guys don't know the law so you've got to come on our course you know you you're going to make this guy go on his your course you can come on ours instead and we thought they'd just be very silly and go home and um just the whole thing escalated and i was like what the fuck and they're like harry got arrested this guy got arrested um and it was seven cops came you know and i, I just see it unfolding and I, I remember asking them, like, are you not going to... You know, the Daily Mail printed that picture. Are you not going to arrest the whole editorial staff? And the policeman goes, well, we don't have resources for that. And I thought, that's a really dumb thing to say. <laughs> How yeah. are you ever going to get a conviction? <laughs> you know? yeah. The only reason they weren't going to arrest the entire Daily Mail editorial staff was a, was a numbers problem. <laughs> yeah, as if, like, Hampshire Constabulary would be on, on their ass, you know, walking through Fleet Street. And... I just, I was just baffled by the whole. I mean, I was watching it and thinking, "You guys are just so dumb. Like, can you not see this is a absolute PR disaster for you?" Anyway, it, it happened. It was Harry and the guy got completely released. No charges, no nothing, and it was you know one of the very early great victories for the Bad Law Project. And you know, beyond that, I think people within Hampshire got moved about. I'm not sure. Um, but you know there was a big change and everyone got involved in it and there's I found this YouTube video just deconstructing the video that I'd made uh, and Lawrence's live stream it completely explaining why it was uh, controlled opposition psyop you know limited hangout whatever the phrase false flag um, just really going through it in quite detail just the most vivid imagination if i can put it that way but we sort of had its own kind of logical consistency and um and you, you just when you when you're so intimately part of something and you and you see people completely deconstructing it and my favorite bit was um one of the guys sort of ironclad bits, bits of evidence was that like in order to do this kind of thing, you need actors. Like, do you, do you know what? Do you know what Lawrence used to do? Mm, adds up. Yeah. Think about, it. think about it. Yeah, mate. He's an actor. This Wake is what he does. Up. Wake up. Exactly. Yeah. TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is. This like. Yeah. 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 Big announcement coming if, if soon. Seen that, um, That's another one. <laughs> that video. Someone's done of. Um, it's. A, a Star Wars, the first Star Wars film, where they sort of build a conspiracy video out of like it was actually an inside job, right? Because you know, <laughs> Luke was his father and stuff. And like, how right. could you get a X Wing fighter through that tr tr shallow trough without being shot down? It doesn't make any sense. And I thought it was so completely brilliant that video because it just kind of showed what you can do. And um, but having said that, you know. I did say I'm, I'm one part Team James, three three parts Team Toby, probably Team Nick. Um, 
things like they sort of call it the the World Economic Forum conspiracy theory. I'm just like, show me the conspiracy. Like, what what what, yeah. what about this is hidden to you? I'm on the website right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. We will penetrate the cabinets. We will reset society. Like, it's all there. I mean, I think I think the the difference is that in terms of they probably exaggerate their effectiveness. Uh, but on the other hand, it's like. I, I take the view that um, bureaucracies become kind of autonomous after a while and they're like self-organising systems that perpetuate themselves um, and so maybe the sort of prime ministers and everything are not going around at WF, WF taking notes on what they should be doing but policy kind of evolves through the ministries and departments of governments in the world it kind of travels up the chain and and a lot of policy advisors aren't much more than graduates you know what i mean and so they're probably kind of imbibing all of this stuff it's like i go to germany a lot and i was thinking um i was getting getting our bags to go to the supermarket automatically and i didn't check to think oh do they just do bags there and i realized yeah, fucking everywhere you can't get plastic bags. It wasn't just here. Um, I've been working on this project about tech censorship. And the uh, we, we have call it the online safety bill. But there's one in Ireland, there's one in Australia, there's one in South Africa. They all call it safety or harms in some way. It's, it's essentially the same kind of bill. And so it's, it's funny how this stuff happens kind of everywhere all at once. Um, I think another, another quick example is, is, is sorry it swings to mind is the corporate equality index that James Lindsay just done a long thread about yeah. in relation to Dylan Mulvaney. Why is Dylan Mulvaney the new face of Nike? It's probably this corporate equality index where you get points, and it's just like the Stonewall Equality Index, Workplace Equality Index in our country. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like this, this stuff just happens. You know, the bans on plastic straws you know all all this stuff and you, you can't is that just because it's a coordinated the... globalist western it's the western world versus like russia and china so the west just does everything at once globe that's globalism right i mean i've not been to russia but i it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of this stuff happens there too yeah. um, well callum has he was explaining on another podcast it, it is actually a bit different over there but, but anyway go on i interrupted your germany-based okay. plastic bag anecdote well it's yeah well that, that was the end of it just that they also won't let you take it to the fucking supermarket either. And, you know, obviously we know the root cause of that has nothing to do with saving plastic or the environment. It's that this kind of innate uh, religious uh, fear that our lives in the West have become too easy. So we have to uh, place a lot of obstacles in front of daily tasks in order to pay our penance for, mm. for, this, for the ease of civilization we've created. Right. So that's why you have to bring your own bag to the... And people, oh, it's only bring your bag. It's not just bring your bag. It's a pain in the hole. And and I don't need to be doing it. And, and we realised we didn't need to do that decades ago. And then we still have to do it. You think it's a kind of awkwardness, penance? That's interesting. Yeah, because a lot of people say the climate madness is a religious cult. The other thing is that it's actually a sort of front for basically communism. You know, this meme I talked about on a Weekly Skeptic this week... This guy goes, just a cartoon, but this guy goes, climate change will kill us all. Let's dismantle our socioeconomic system to prevent it. The other guy goes, how about nuclear power? 
Then the first guy goes, I don't want nuclear power. I want to dismantle our socioeconomic system. So not really looking for a solution, just trying to work in <laughs> communism by the back door. But, you, but then the other argument is, is your argument. It's the, it's the religious cult. Our lives got too easy. The kind of Dostoevsky thing that he raises in Notes from Underground talks about a crystal palace. Even if man could have this perfect kind of utopian world, he would deliberately sabotage it. That's sometimes what I think we're doing with wokeness. Do you think we're doing that with climate then? Yeah. I think that's definitely part of it. I, I think it's... I think there's an inherent dishonesty in the climate debate because... Um, nobody's willing to say and nobody is willing to say i think humans take precedent over over nature right but right, except from christians basically believes yeah. well no i don't even think I, dominion every, over the beasts and all that oh okay i see what you mean but no, but very few people actually say that and um but everybody implicitly believes it because you know most people want what's best for their kids and most people will kind of do anything to save a human life. I mean, I suppose the only problem with environmentalism is that it's putting kind of barriers between us seeing the consequences of the environmental policy. Um, and that there's a huge irony in all of it, which is that if you look at the graphs of how um, deaths from natural disasters have just totally plummeted over the last century, like they're just fraction, like a less than 1% of what they were. Not even accounting, for, sorry, I shouldn't hear that. Not even accounting for the giant uh, raise in population we've had, rise in population. And yet, people seem to think that more people are dying from natural disasters than a few decades ago. It's just the opposite of the truth. And the very thing that protects us from natural disaster is economic growth and cheap and abundant energy, which is the very things that the Gretas and the environmentalists want to stop. So I think it's, I think it's unbelievably poisonous cult. I, I think it's completely evil. I think that Extinction Rebellion and Justipole are terrorists, occult members. They're a cross between ISIS and, um, you know, the Jim Jones or, or whatever, what have you, um, they're drinking their Kool-Aid. You know, they're, they're, they're fantasists, there's no thought but and if you listen to the founder of him he sort of talks about suffering like we need to suffer to, he sort of talks in very quasi-religious terms they do yeah and if you look at roger hallam the stuff that he comes out with is, is totally insane and i don't think it's libelous but um uh, he has a, a kind of charisma to him that attracts young people you know Mm -hmm. uh, like a lot, like a lot of similar cult leaders do. And yeah, we're not saying he's like Charles Manson. We don't know what the, the legality of that would be. But we're not saying. We're definitely not saying that. <laughs> we're just asking. Um, how do you get out of lie? We just ask I'm, it as a question. It's satirical content, anyway. Yeah. Some people may <laughs> say it could be some people's satirical opinion. <laughs> yeah. We well, just say, you say allegedly, um, and you say I'm not definitely not saying it, but you you can say I believe. Okay. That he has the appearance of a cult leader. I believe what he says is incredibly violent. I believe he uses incredibly violent imagery. I believe he has a lot of charisma. And I believe a lot of young people are attracted to him. Um, and I believe that he uses that charisma to attract people to him, to his cause. And it's... I don't even remember how we got onto this whole section. Well... Um, 
I've got loads of threads open to return to. Don't worry, I've got so many things to ask yeah, you. But carry on. We, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I think it's just. Oh yeah, this whole idea of, you know, design or not. So my problem with the lack of design issue is that I feel like you haven't actually people who say sorry my problem with the it was all designed problem is I feel like you you haven't talked to the people who believe this stuff you know actually go to a standard corporate PR agency go go to the office of Joe and just listen to them they of course they believe this stuff there's there's no compulsion about it everyone thinks it and and so why is it big why did the bbc we're talking about at the moment you know why does james clayton believe that 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 people how people got sacked from twitter is more important than the twitter files or, or elon musk's ideas about ai because he's just a blinkered idiot and that's what he thinks yes that's why so this is the interview that just landed because... elon musk turned the tables on james clayton put it on a twitter space and james clayton said things like well there's a lot of sexism and racism on my for you timeline on twitter and musk goes okay give me one example and he just fell apart and crumbled and couldn't it was just an, it was just an empty talking point yeah and like you said it was a bit of a rhetorical trick from musk because i i mean i probably could have come up on top of my head some pretty out there accounts that have popped back up uh, in recent months, um, you know. And uh, but I think even so, you could make a very spirited defence that these accounts should be out there and they should be heard, and or, or not they, they should be heard, but they should have the ability to say what they they want, um, because there's a free marketplace of ideas and these things are important. I mean. What I think is the most interesting about it, I mean, I, I genuinely think Musk bought Twitter to to stop the end of the world. If I'm being honest, um, makes sense. Yeah, he well, certainly wants to to he, troll the legacy media and 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 displace them and make Twitter the source of news. And and certainly, Twitter legacy media is probably one of the most dangerous things in our society. I often say it's the most it's the greatest threat to our society actually because it's perverse incentives to scare us to lie. Yeah. And and yeah. Musk is very concerned about Ukraine spilling out to nuclear war. He's shot. He's seen through the COVID bullshit very early on, and he's seen how so much of these things, which are potentially civilizational ending, have been driven through Twitter. Because and it's very important to understand that your you, you massive voters aren't on Twitter. Um, and that's so that's why I kind of think that this idea that it is the mainstream media isn't exactly true because go talk I mean, again, talk to people, talk to your friends. Like I was a week I was a weekend lads holiday. There's five of us. None of them knew what the fuck Substack was. You know, n- none of them knew what was going down on Twitter. I mean that and that's one of the shames of that's that's how the BBC besmirches itself because they won't report on the Twitter files. Um, if, uh, but the the converse of that is that um, people barely know what ChatGPT is outside of Twitter. You know that that's where the real discussion of it is going on. Uh, the the SVB bank collapse and the Sam Bankman Fried uh, collapse 
were so much better covered on Twitter by some amateurs with account, you know, spare accounts and, and which they do on their spare time, uh, and, and maybe a few Substacks. Then entire news newsrooms full of financial journalists, and that's kind of amazing. But at the same time, very very few um, voters, as I would term it, are on there. The voters are on Facebook, right? Because Facebook is now just boomers arguing about politics. Um, and then, you know, other segments of the population on, on the various different ones, like you know, TikTok, Instagram, these, whatever you call it. Um, one of the really interesting things is how legacy media like the BBC and sort of charities try to make podcasts for sort of young people when podcasting is such a kind of millennial and older um, medium. You know, it's really 30 somethings that, and that were listening to serial, which was bollocks, by the way. Um, <laughs> and. Um, and, and so, but they just don't quite understand what they have. And one of the very interesting things about the algorithms which control these media is that they really want you to stay on on their platform. So, you know, Twitter doesn't like it when you link into YouTube. And if you think about it, when you're on Twitter and you see a link to YouTube, you don't really go on to YouTube. You might see, oh, you might try and log it in your head and then scroll a bit more and forget about it. Whereas if you're on YouTube, you're kind of on YouTube and you find other videos on YouTube through YouTube and people don't quite get how all that works. So I, I digress. So within those populations, what Musk grasped was that SW, well, what we in Britain call SW1, but we could call globally the kind of policy making and media elite. They're all on Twitter and they're all totally addicted to it. Right. Um, you know, Matt, Matt Goodwin's just come out of a book called The New Elite. It might as well just be called, you know, Boomers on Gen Xers on Twitter. Um, so I don't, yeah, rather not Boomers. Yeah, Twitter's such a millennial Gen X um, platform. I, it, I was also, I'm, I'm trying to work out what this type of man is at the moment. I'm calling it the inverse gammon. You know, <laughs> kind of James O'Brien, David Aronovich. Oh, yeah. Agree. There's you a Matthew know, Sweet maybe uh, in there. Otto English. The big one. Otto English. The inverse gammon. Who just James sort of... O'Brien's their leader. <laughs> yeah. And there's loads of lower lower okay. versions. Yeah, they're very yeah, strange. Yeah. Led by donkeys is another one. Led by people who listen to the Rest is Politics podcast. Yes. And, and they drink craft ale. And they, yeah, they drink ale yeah, yeah. and they have very... To be honest, a lot of them are in my football team. I mean, this is what I was thinking when you were talking about it. Like, when you said before that, like, policy advisors are often just sort of graduates and things. I was thinking, I know a guy in my football team who's in a think tank, and it's a famous think tank, but he doesn't really seem to have that many thoughts. I mean, he seems smart, but he's like, <laughs> but he's, he's smart, but he, but he, um, he just sort of talked about wokeness in general. It sort of came up, and it, his basic take was, "Oh yeah, no, I sort of yeah. feel we've just got to let the young people get on with that." Like you know, in his company and all that. Like, oh, I don't really understand that. That's for the youngsters. It's like that's a like woefully inadequate view of, of wokeness and identity policy and all the surrounding things for someone in a think tank. You know, that that's like that's disastrous. Most of them don't know anything. Gone. It's the, well, I want to so, so I, 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 yeah, well, I, I was interrupted because I took a photograph of this poster on the tube the other day. I don't know okay. if it will come out. Like, mm, well, I, I'm, you're blurring me at the moment because of the, the call. 
Um, it's called Kite, a new festival of ideas of music, right? So the band are on a like hot ship suede, the pretenders, Django Django, um, Ian Jury's son. But it's got this it's a new festival of ideas and music. Hmm. And so <laughs> the, the ideas section is is amazing, right? It's it is it is the inverse gammon's weekend of delight. So we got Dame Joan Collins and David Badil talking, Chris uh, Chris Patton and Rana Meter. Chris Patton, um, Monroe <laughs> Bergdorf, uh, Monroe Bergdorf giving lessons of leadership. Sam, that's um, Chris Patton, former chairman of the Tory Party. Monroe Bergdorf, who said that even a homeless white person has privilege. This is a sort yes, of mixed race model. It gets, it gets better. Um, yeah. Alistair Campbell fixing politics uh, is his bit with with, with Marina Hyde. Fixing um, dossiers, invading countries. Ra- Rachel Reeves, Bombing. Polly Toynbee, uh, oh my God. Nell Godrich. Uh, I, I showed <laughs> this to my mate over the weekend, and his lovely Northern Irish low. He was he looked at it again. He went, what what's what's wrong with that bit of the festival? That's like the festival anyway, of hell. Oh God, festival of it's, death. It's, it's like, like Alistair no Campbell sold out two and a half thousand seats with Rory Stewart. You're going, who are these people? Why? Why is the world like this? And as I keep, I keep sort of going down the thread, I sort of yank it back here. So, mm-hmm. so that sort of person. But the policy and the intellectual media elite—they're all addicted to fucking Twitter, all fucking on it—and they drove us to. St- absolute disaster with lockdowns um and they created just this enormous hysteria over trump um and then they could still drive us to nuclear war over ukraine and again it's because they're not thinking about terms in any kind of rationality or logic it's because they think in terms of the the platform game of the competing platforms right and I think Musk bought Twitter because he wants to get people into into Mars, right? So his first step was he had to get rockets into orbit. And if the world explodes or is not capable of <laughs> having a space company anymore, then you're not going to get people on, on the way to Mars. So I think he simply bought it as a civilizational thing. He realized... Do you know what? If if things carry on as as it is, then it it might not function anymore. I, I mean, if if Twitter collapsed financially, then it's highly likely that there would have been some kind of buyout from the policy and intellectual elite that consumes it so heavily and is so addicted to it. And they could have made it even worse. Mm. You know, it, it could have been partially state. It could, it could have been. Imagine Twitter being publicly funded. <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah, I know. When I said that the legacy media or the media, mainstream media, is one of the biggest threats to, to our civilization, I was thinking about things like COVID, how that basically was a media creation, and so on. But and there's many things we could cite. But but yes, Twitter and social media, especially Twitter, is probably. I'm sort of seeing it as part of that because all these people have a presence on Twitter as well. And, and that is probably the most dangerous. That's probably the reason we have wokeness, the reason it's been able to catch on. 
almost certainly is just Twitter, pretty much just Twitter. The woke mind virus, as Elon called it. Mm. That's why he's taking over Twitter to stop that. Maybe to also go to Mars, like you're saying. That's why it's so crucial. It, it's the absolute crucible of, of where the civilization is going to go, of free speech. And he is he's getting some wins. He's saying, NPR, you're state-affiliated. Okay, you're state-funded or you know, government-funded. BBC, you're, you're government-funded. They changed it now to publicly funded. But he's having some pops at the mainstream media. But of course, then you've got the EU want to regulate him. So he's not necessarily winning even on Twitter. It's, you know, it's, a, it's a sort of last-ditch, one man, one man could save humanity. It's that kind of thing, isn't it? That's how I see it. It's like, he could save it's humanity. It's that it Twitter. got to that point. Yeah. Isn't it? It's, it's such a... Elon Musk sweeping in to buy Twitter's the ultimate deus ex machina. It's yeah, like, and then takes us off to uh, Mars. Yeah. My plan was for a billionaire to buy us and save us, and it worked. Sorry to interrupt, but we have a quick word from our sponsor, Harry Willis. Now, Harry is a fitness transformation and health coach, and he's guaranteeing that if you work with him, you'll lose five kilograms in your first five weeks, or he'll coach you for free until you do. He'll design a bespoke plan for your workouts and diet and work with you one-on-one the whole way. I've seen the results he gets, and they are very, very impressive. And you can find Harry on Instagram at Harry underscore Willis or willis-coaching.com. Just quote the current thing when you make contact. And he'll give you a free 45-minute consultation to go over your goals. And I also hear he's super based, by the way, which is why he's advertising on this show. So at Harry underscore Willis or willis-coaching.com. Now back to the show. And when you say inverse gammons, I think I came up, it's similar to a term I came up with called new normies in my article, Confessions of a Conservative Rebel. It's on my substack. And I was trying to puzzle out, why am I, as I said in the article, I'm in North London dealing with all these normies. And I'm the only one that seems to care about our country or saving it or anything. And I, was, and I say in the article, why am I having to save English liberalism and the family from English liberals with families? Like, I'm so confused. It's, they're sort of lefty. They're sort of unthinking. They're the kind of person you mentioned. They're, they're led by donkeys, kind of James O'Brien type person. They all think the same in North London. It's, I tell you what happened. We were, I was in the football group and they all started talking about Gary Lineker. And I was like, I might have to leave the football group. They all have the same take that Gary Lineker's awesome, you know, that BBC scandal. And I wanted to drop my 1,300-word article from the Daily Skeptic. It was a seminal piece on Lineker and why he was an absolute dick. But um, I just didn't even do it. Which reminds me, actually, of another question I was going to ask you about. So there's that weird inverse gamma new normie world we're trapped in, and they've all gone sort of far left, they sort of far left talking points, but kind of living like basically just standard sort of capitalistic kind of people. It's a very weird sort of set of beliefs. The sort of new elite, as, as Goodwin says, but mixed with giving lip service to Black Lives Matter and Antifa, weirdly. And, um, and the other thing I was going to ask you about is, and then we have to survive amongst them, and you sort of are incognito, and I, I sort of don't post things and don't, don't speak my mind in the normal world. I just had a funny thing today. I was trying to buy some shoes. My shoes are falling apart. And it's obviously hellish buying clothes and shoes and as a man. It's, like a, it's just a nightmare. But I got to speak to this guy, yeah. and... He was asking me what I do, and I told him I do TV and podcasts and stuff, and all this. And then he sort of he took my details to like send me the information, but then he sort of asked that he asked my name therefore, and I suddenly realised I left that key part of the story. He was clearly a leftist from the discussion. He just used certain words that were like key lefty buzzwords, and I thought, and we get on really well, and we bonded on like some films we've seen and stuff. And I suddenly thought that he's gonna mm-hmm. he hasn't messaged me the details, and I suddenly thought it's because he's checked out who I am, and now he hates me. So have you had a problem just sort of living in the normal world, being like 
on the normal side of politics so you can't I call it the normal side meaning mm. normal people who can't reveal their politics because we're thought to be evil in in a way like not really um, we had somebody from the BBC around the house the other day and like on a, on a social not not like my wife's you don't uh, mean the license fee people came around <laughs> <laughs> no no, a journalist from from the BBC for my wife's uh, like a play date where they brought their kid along, and and my wife went, "Don't be too right wing, please." And maybe don't say who you were. And uh, and then the plumber comes around. Be, be a bit more right wing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you can be right wing. Um, but I don't. I generally try to like. So I have this. McCarran isn't my real name. So I do have a little degree of separation when I do kind of more normal corporate jobs. Um, And I still do the odd bit of television, although I haven't done any UK TV for a couple, two, three years now. Um, But, yeah, the company that I did most of my uh, TV work with, they were known as a diverse company. And they were quite open to the fact that, like, they were saying that there's there's this big push for it now, and and this is something that we have to take advantage of, because uh, it's a very brutal world out there in uh, TV and media. And they used to say, with you, we really are diverse, because we've got the full spread, you know, of everything, of uh, you know, sort of <laughs> absurd, ludicrous, reactionary white guy. Um, versus, you know, a, a bunch of um, people from ethnic minorities with different shades of left-wing opinion. And that was great. And I, I also feel that generally um, I, I have did fall out of somebody a little bit, but it was definitely more them than me. And it happened on, on Facebook over the COVID stuff. Um, and this GP got who I I didn't fucking had spoken to in years at school got very annoyed at me, um, but generally like in my actual day to day life, um, I'm okay. My my friends, who in who are all kind of normie in their way, most of them anyway, see where I'm coming from, and know who I am. So I've not really had any major major problems you know okay. um apart from I had one friend who's quite into public health and uh he yeah i haven't spoken to him properly much recently but i, I don't think that relationship's irreparable well i lost one relationship over masks and i was told i deserved months of suffering for not wearing a mask and the other weird topic was whether men had higher upper body strength than women on average that those two topics managed to lose me a friend who I'd known for year, it's ten years. Why people do people really try and argue that stuff that, that men don't have higher upper body strength? It's just I was amazed. It was someone who it's kind of like what we're talking about. It's someone who wasn't really aware of cultural war talking points. I suddenly realised wasn't aware of the arguments. They just sort of had accepted it. There was two things. One was masks, which I wasn't wearing, and they were very vehement about. I've been proved right. Oh well. The other one was some kind of we got in some weird debate, and I said, well, obviously men have higher upper body strength, and he's called me an idiot repeatedly for ages and shouted at me 
I'd forgotten to say on average because I thought that was so obvious. Like the sky is blue. Sometimes it's pink. You're an idiot. It's like no, on on average it's blue, isn't it? So it's like <laughs> it was just so obvious to me. And he just cited like outliers, like people, women that could beat us up if they were MMA fighters. Like yeah, we, that's that's called an outlier. Like it was just really. He's like you, you've got to be. But if people don't follow the culture war stuff, they're just not aware, are they? So they they, they just anyway. But if that's you're not even arguing that on average, I mean. What 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 are you even arguing there? I don't I don't see what point they're trying to make. Mm. I think he lived with a his girlfriend was a it just got with was quite a big feminist. I think that's what happened. Um, they got to him, um, mm. and maybe a quick question about one thing I was wondering about, which is um, what well, I always ask how we win the culture war, but we've kind of almost touched on that quite a lot with Twitter and so on. Maybe Twitter's the key. So a double question here: how do we, how do we win this culture war thing? And, and follow-up question, are aesthetics important? Because our side, you're, you're a filmmaker and you, you have quite strong views. You know, we, if we look at a bit of filmmaking or a bit of graphics or something, you sort of tend to go like, that's crap, that's good. Is it, are aesthetics important for our side? Are we sort of a, a low-budget, kind of tacky? And, uh, and then, yeah, answer either of those questions and how we win the um, culture war. I think aesthetics are really important. I mean, I would say that, wouldn't I, as a filmmaker? But, um, you know, obviously, the stuff I do with Lawrence, um, you know, I'm working in sort of quite a different environment than I would have done in TV. But I do try and make, you know, the Lawrence Fox show look good. And, um, you know, wor- working with the cameras and lights that I can. And, you know, I, st- I-, I-, I sort of think that, like, a lot of it is just is your positioning and stuff like that um, to to make things look nice. But you know, like the the film I did with uh, like the documentary we made, Groomed. I think that's I think that was very well made. I mean, I look back in it. I'm a bit frustrated that we only could do Zoom interviews with people, but then that's kind of what you have to work with you know like um i wish i had riverside back then yeah, uh, recording this on uh, riverside for the little listener it's like a partial zoom yeah we we use zencast actually was, this is such a boring conversation it's the same thing but um yeah i wish i knew i had it uh when i made that and and obviously it's great to go out with f- properly film stuff like um i'm very early on in the lockdown in 2020 i made this film with mike eden and I'm still very happy with the way that I shot that. Um, and I made a similar one with John Lee. And I've... So if you take sort of the, the one where that guy got arrested with, with Harry and Lawrence, I was in my element doing that because it was so much of what I had done before, like, you know, camera on the shoulder, filming it properly, you know. Um, and I hammered through the edit on that. and when I came out, I was very happy with, with the work. Um, and I feel quite strongly actually that our side does lack a little bit of that aesthetic quality. And I think that's very, very important because there's a lot of stories around today that perhaps someone like dispatchers would have been covering 20 years ago, which they would just won't touch now. So, um, you know, GB News did the groomed thing, uh, and I'd have loved to have done that. Um, nobody's going to do a kind of 
proper takedown of low traffic neighborhoods, ULEs uh, and stuff like that, unless one of us does it, right? And even when a lot of people do it, it's like some guy with their phone in their car. I mean, together, the people they're working with, like the, the Save Our Streets Bath people have made quite a nice one, which I was just looking at today, actually. Um, and what's interesting is how the tech has kind of come about so that you can actually make stuff look quite good on, on a budget, on a fraction of the cost, right? So uh, when I was making TV, I, I, I went off to the, I was doing a job in the Philippines. It was like a sweet gig, you know, off to the Philippines by myself. And I had, I went in on the tourist visa and just bought a camera, uh, my, my radio mics, a gimbal, which is like a stabilizer for like smooth shots. I had the shoulder rig thing. Um, I think I was actually, I was using a tripod, which I was like jimmying into a shoulder rig so I can move it around like that. Uh, and yeah, I had the drone also in there. And I was thinking, God, you know, 15 years ago, to get the same uh, slate of roster of shots, the set, it was only like a two-minute, five-minute thing I was doing, um, you'd have needed director, cameraman, a massive camera, sound man with a thing and the boom, um, and, a, you know, probably like an extra assistant producer or something, and a fucking helicopter at the end of it. And I had all of that in my suitcase. It's, it's amazing and so um and a lot more people are starting to realize like that you can actually do that um so one thing we're, we're quite even with the we did a film recently called drag wars where lawrence phoned me up as like right this is drag queen pro story i protest we're going there get your stuff so i was like okay great so like boom 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 jimmy up the thing and filmed it and produced what i thought was quite i mean i don't normally like filming um protest because i think it's quite difficult to get interesting shots of crowds this is just a kind of aesthetic thing and sometimes it can be difficult to get if most protests don't have a counter protest so it's difficult to get a sense of what they're sort of protesting against whereas this one did massively and so i was able to sort of juxtapose them a little bit in the visuals and, and Lawrence was able to talk to one of the people on the other side, which is brilliant because I, I don't think the film would have quite worked if it didn't have that. Um, and that's something that's, I think is quite important with a lot of filmmaking is you need a kind of level of, I think maybe not even filmmaking, but storytelling, you, you need a level of conflict, right? To make the story interesting. Um, and so, but I'm really happy with that bit of work because even though we just sort of filmed it in a day, hammered it out, like it looks nice and I'm happy that look and I can look at it as something I've done post TV and think yeah I'm, re I'm really glad really happy with the way that what that looks you know I'm not I'm not you know I've certainly no shame with the politics of it I'd only be ashamed of saying if it didn't look good you know and um, yeah. that that's what I'm trying to trying to do yeah I think it's important I think Daily Wire are trying to do it they're trying to do normal films that maybe have a conservative underlying yeah. theme but well, actually, just to jump in there as well, yeah. how to win the work. How this is also oh yeah factor into how to win the work war. Um, I think you need to. You can't look. One of the best things that what wins is the documentary they made. What is a woman? Now, what is a woman is completely brilliant. 
and not just from a kind of the sort of message that Matt Walsh is trying to push in that film, but simply from a filmmaking perspective, it's brilliantly done. One of the problems when you have filmmaking, uh, political filmmaking, and a lot of people who just start filmmaking often do this, is your film ends up being a series of interviews. Uh, now, I really don't like that. Now, obviously, it's important to have interviews within your film, especially if you're doing... Or, or, or I mean, another way I like to do it is base your whole film about one interview. You know, that, that can be quite interesting. Um, but when you've just got a series of talking heads, it really does turn me off, and I think it turns the audience off. Um, Matt's film had a lot of that in it, but A they were very thoughtful about how they filmed some of those interviews and they filmed them quite interestingly. But B, he, they integrated into it some interesting bits of actuality of like sending Matt into a, a protest. And again, it sort of worked because he was the conflict. You know, they were angry at him. You know, he was the counter protest in a way. Um, had some very nice street scenes and, and had these wonderful bits where Matt goes and speaks to a school board, which he did in he did do in real life, and just sort of eviscerates them in the sixty seconds that he's got. You know, saying, you know, you have this violent, insane ideology that you're pushing on children. But it was also able to in, uh, illustrate some quite ab abstract concepts in in clever ways. I thought, uh, like there's these wonderful sort of sequences where Matt is just wandering around the kind of room full of just bald-headed mannequin dolls and I thought it was br brilliantly done and wonderfully shot uh, so I think there is and and when that came out was a few six months ago everybody was talking about it um, and the only reason people haven't seen it more is it's because it's behind the paywall uh, for the Daily Wire and guys if any of you are listening from the Daily Wire can you if you make it easier for us to do it, to sign on to your thing over here, then we would. But you don't. I signed up to it. I thought yeah, I should you... support them. Oh, okay. Because I, I tried. I tried to get. I, I tried for Reclaim to get one to get a sign up, but it just didn't. The the it, website just didn't seem to work. That sounds like your boomer tech issues. Like when when they got Jordan Peterson on board, <laughs> I thought it, they did a discount. I was like, yeah, cool, I love a discount. I'll get on board. And there is some good stuff on there. You know, it's always, is there enough content? And I've watched some of the films. Yeah, What is a Woman, obviously the, fl the flagship piece, absolutely brilliant. And the only part I actually thought was a little bit cringe, though, is some of the parts you mentioned, they may have been done well visually, but just watching Matt Walsh have to do act-outs, like when he's got the sort of cork board or whatever he's got, I just thought, I bet it's so awkward for Matt just having to go, what do I do now? I, go, I have to go and look, <laughs> look like I'm looking at this. And it, I just thought, I just feel his pain a little bit. It doesn't even bit slightly broke the fourth wall for me, but you know, it was very well done and very effective. Perhaps been a big part of ending some of this trans madness. Walsh has done some impressive work there. Um, do you know what? He's I almost definitely wanted... shifted the Overson window on it. He has, yeah. And um, I almost wanted to bring the whole podcast together. And when you talked about and just end it maybe you talked about the um thing with harry and and you did that filming and they all said that you were an actor uh, fox lawrence fox was an actor and it was all fake it reminded me of um bill hicks when he go when he said the thing that not bill hicks alex jones when he said the thing that tipped him off was that he wasn't bill hicks and the internet started saying he was bill hicks and he goes 
I, well, I'm not Bill Hicks, so you realize it, he's not Bill Hicks. So <laughs> not all conspiracy theories are true because I like I'm definitely not Bill Hicks. And so it's, it comes back to this thing, you, you, Team Joby, which is a mixture between Toby Young and James Dunning, which is in between conspiracy moderate. And it reminded me of, um, and you mentioned Alex Jones and you mentioned John Ronson. And I don't know if you, and you'll remember this, but he, they did that thing going into Bohemian Grove and John Ronson wrote about it in his mm. book, Them. And it's just so great because they go into yeah, yeah. and John Ronson's like, I went with Alex to go to Bohemian Grove. And, uh, and to find out what's going on. And then Alex Jones, this, they, the, it's the elites, and they get into Bohemian Grove, and it's the elites worshipping an owl god. And it's all, you know, presidents and those type of people have been there for years, and, and high up corporate people or whatever. And the difference between Alex Jones and John Ronson was that Alex Jones was like, they're sacrificing children to an owl god. And, and John's like, I don't think that's quite right. Like, but <laughs> my take, the take of the conspiracy moderate is, and I've said this to you before, they're not sacrificing children but it's still a bit weird. Like, why are they in the woods in a pantomime way, worshipping a pantomime owl god? The elite, that's weird enough for me. Like, lads, what are you doing? We're not doing that. That's a bit weird. Anyway, what do you think about that? That's my ultimate, that's my conspiracy moderate I, I, I lo- I've heard you say it before, and I think it's such a true thing. Yeah, it's, it's fucking weird, you know, to go... I think it, John spoke about that afterwards, and he said how he spoke to Alex and said that you know you and i were both there they they weren't sacrificing children and he said that alex gave him the kind of slightest sort of hint of recognition that his his audience he, he knows what his audience wants you know and um I, I, they they call it all. I think the technical term is audience capture. I mean, I I so like on my Twitter account. I mean, I don't have a huge amount of followers, but I noticed during the lockdown times, all my sort of carefully, cunningly thought out critiques of economic policy would just get zero engagement. But if I would say something about the safe and effective treatment. Uh, yeah, probably joking about how how safe and effective it was. Um, it would go, you know, blockbusters. Mm. Um, so I think I think that's partly where where a lot of this, where a lot of these these things come from. You know, it, it's y- in some ways you're just kind of giving the people what they want, and I, and I suppose that could be spun into an argument by the kind of normie censorship industrial politic. Uh, po- uh, censorship industrial complex of that ah that's why we have to step in as publicly funded broadcasters to to move people in the right direction but i would say that's also a complete lie because um the damage that the remain establishment did uh in the brexit wars of trying to undermine the democratic process the fact that three years were spent just doing nothing legislatively you know and Dominic Cummings spoke about this in the podcast you know he'd he'd come into parliament in 2019 and just see sort of MPs and lords almost in tears in corners just unable to handle what's happening and I remember it being so totally crushed once I was in this Leavers pub gathering 
and they set up the TV with BBC News, Parliament or Sky News or something. And a series of votes were coming in on various kind of Brexit bills, all, all in one night. And it was just bang, 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 like leaving the Customs Union, bang, no, leaving the bang, bang, one after another. And I just thought, you know, that the faith that they'd have totally destroyed in people's grasp of politics is going to take a long time for that for that to recover. So. I and, and Carol Cadwallader won an Orwell Prize, you know, and and she's recognised for what she uh, what what she said to to move over to the um, across the Atlantic. Alexandria Casio Cortez is still saying in Congress that the Hunter Biden story was Russian disinformation. Still. Like the the truth has no bearing on what she's saying, and that that's that I suppose that's my biggest problem with a lot of the media. It's like they're so removed from the truth. It's like Liz Truss was defenestrated from being uh, the prime minister for several reasons, you know, largely because the markets were completely spooked by over leveraged pension funds that the Bank of England had to jump in for. And this massive, enormous, historically unprecedented, uh, uncapped energy bonus. The public, right, have been fed by the BBC that it was because of a corporation tax cut. It beggars belief. The, the, the mental gymnastics, you have to think, for that to be true, that a bunch of city boys got together and crashed the economy because they thought that corporation tax was too low. How is that? And go talk to your normie friends in your. Go ask them in your football club. Everyone at home, everyone's got normie friends. You say, why, why did why did this trust have to stop being prime minister? They'll tell you, oh, it's because you put tax too low. And so the city boys tanked the economy. Because they thought tax would be too low. It beggars, but it's, it, it, I just, I feel so often that, like, there's just lie after lie after lie. So, in a way, I'm, I'm never going to begrudge, you know, the kind of conspiracy theorists, all the Team Jameses, because, you know, we live in a world of just sort of perpetual dishonesty, it seems to me. Um, and you know, I, I I have my views that th these problems are self-organising, um, but they're they're still there. You know, I I don't think there's a, there's a an intelligent mind behind it. I think I think the mind, the cabal, if anything, is is almost like the group intelligence of a a termite man mound or an ant colony. You know. People often think of ant colonies that the, the ant queen is telling all the ants where to go. You know, you you guys do the eggs. You guys, defend. that's not what happens at all. The queen just fucking sits there and makes eggs, and all the ants just do their other stuff, and all they're doing is following the most basic genetic instructions of like, follow that ant, stop, intruder, you know, eat. That's that's all. That's all, and it, it, they create these most incredible intricate structures. And, and that's literally what I think 
is is happening amongst us now and um you know i think i think people at the bbc should hang their heads in shame for what they're doing to the country to just completely besmirching everything that was built on just this constant tissue and it's almost like there's also lies by omission you know as well and so even i made this point today on twitter uh not a lot of people have made it yet but uh james clayton interviewed elon musk and he spent the majority of it saying you know don't you feel bad about the people you let go uh how, how much money have you got you know, do you sleep in the office uh rather than saying you know the twitter files the let's learn about that the the biggest invade the biggest abuse of the first amendment ever one of those biggest corporate political scandals in in a generation tell us about that or how about elon you said you want to pause investment in ai how do you square that with being uh pause in order to you know investigate the dangers how do you square that with being an early investor in ai and is that even possible and and what 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 are those dangers did you not foresee them when you're opening up you know elon like i heard you think we live in a simulate we could live in a simulation let's talk about that you know and this guy was given an hour with the with musk and he just didn't think any of that was worth mentioning and it's the same thing if, if they you know it's like this podcast one of the other big inverse gamma ones, the news agents, where you can listen to John Sopel, Emily Maitlis, and uh, the other guy, um, Lewis, whatever his name is. I mean, why the fuck would you want to listen to that? But it's like, oh, now we can hear what they really think. But it's this, it's the same thing, and it's the same just it's the same constant crap and bullshit about everything. Just just these people just vomiting their opinions back at each other. Um. So yeah, that that's how I would end that point. It's just I'm basically why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I'm working for who I'm working for is just I'm just so completely disgusted at all the lies and deceit that is just being shoveled at us constantly uh, from day to day. And and one of my jobs, I mean, I don't know how much of my output that you watch. Um, but I try very hard to be quite fair and balanced and logical about these things. You know, when I made Groomed, uh, I was quite open about where these ideas came from and, and the kind of, and Josh Dawes, one of the guests, was very, very interesting about how uh, a lot of these uh, ideas evolved from the writings of Paolo Frieri, who was this Brazilian educator, wrote this book called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Um, I'm working on a thing about the history of drag queen story hour at the moment and I'm really trying to dig into where it's from and trying to be fair you know to everyone involved and I think that's really important because if you're not you just leave this huge gap that people just fill up you know where they come up with stuff that actually you know it turns out that Lawrence Fox is part of the controlled opposition because he was an actor you know all, all these absurdities um, and I think that's that's really really important. 
All right, so because we've done what well, well over an hour and half an hour before that fixing the sound, <laughs> um, no, I yeah. think we maybe we can end, or maybe I should just lastly ask because I've been this is one more thing I'm curious about. Last question: You're with Reclaim, and we've got all these parties coming up now. Reform UK, and you've talked about Liz Truss and that whole debacle. It's, are the Tories finished? And is 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 party politics actually going to change now they've finished? Uh, I'll only say one thing on that. I would say that the Conservative Party is the most effective electoral fighting force in the Western world uh, and has been and is the oldest and that has, has survived the longest. So I think it'd be foolish to, to write them off. Yeah, depressingly true. All right. Thanks for that, Alex. Where, um, and you talked about your Twitter a little bit. I believe it's Alex Macaroon. Is that right? Yeah. If you just search Alexander McCarron, it will come up. That's the easiest way to find um, it. I should have had an easier one because it's not the easiest one to... I mean, I forget myself when, how to spell it when I type it into the... Yes. Bucket. Alexander McCarron. I forget as well, but it, it is findable. And, um, and then you've got your other work with the Reclaim. You do the Reclaim YouTube channel... Yes, yeah, so that's called Reclaim the Media. So that yeah. um, has uh, various clips, bits and bits and bobs, film documentaries that we do and host the Lawrence Fox show. Uh, which, which I was on the other day. Which you were on the other day. You know, one of the best episodes we ever did because it was so interesting. In fact, actually, we clipped one of your bits and it did, it did quite well. Um, oh, good. The other day. And uh, then I've just started up a... a a pod, a substack called How to Be Sound. Um, oh, cool! And the Escape from Lockdown uh, podcast feed will be reactivating in the next month or two with a, okay. a slightly new format, and a different and a different name. What's it? Can you uh, tell it, us what it's it going to be, or is be... it top secret? No, no. I, I, you know, I mean, actually, I could. I'll force forces. I, I'm stuck on the name, but basically, I want to do it with. Um, Ben Pyle, uh, who I've worked with a little bit before and I really like. And rather than interviewing a new guest every week, because I'm sure you're finding it, it's actually a pain in the ass to. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's a massive pain. Every... They postpone, they cancel, then, yeah, yep. you can't, all sorts, yeah, all sorts. Yeah, it's, it's just a whole stress. So I'm not going to do that. Um, but what I. What I want to do is, and the other thing I don't want to do is have a podcast which, like, just sort of discusses news every week. So, what I want to do is create a podcast where every uh, episode will sort of dissect an issue. Mm. Um, and I've been inspired by this podcast called Weird Studies, which this bloke in a pub in Oswald Street turned me on to 18 months ago. There's a really, really interesting podcast about kind of art, philosophy, a bit of macabre, um, and has a, a really nice format that I like a lot. With um, sort of starts with a spoken word piece, the, the two the two presenters occasionally have a guest, as we will do. Um, but I thought it'd be interesting to take an issue, so so like euthanasia or something, or, or something, like that, and really just inter interrogate it, and pull it apart, and analyze it from every every way. 
All right, cool. Yeah, well, your lockdown pod, uh, Escape from Lockdown podcast was excellent when it was around, and so I'm sure this new one with Ben will be very interesting. Ben's an interesting guy, very knowledgeable on climate. Not, it's not my top area, but I can I, I can confirm he's knowledgeable. And um, all right, and it's an interesting idea doing one topic that that we very. You could you could run out after about twelve topics, but other than that, it, it should be very good. Yeah, yeah, but then you, you run out of guests. <laughs> I know, I know, it's tricky. It's tricky. Well, I've also got the weekly skeptic, where the only guest is Toby, so that's that's quite easy. Then you have to deal with him every week. I, have to say, I do, I I do like the weekly skeptic. I've been really, it's 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 become one of my weeklies. Oh, thank you very much. 20,000 downloads in a week now, so which on audio, that's top 1% in the country, so we're doing very well. That's very good. Yeah. Trying to get this podcast up there. We're, we're starting on similar numbers to where Weekly Skeptic was, so I can get there, I think, with this podcast as well. But um, I'm doing them both for now. Why not? And um, th- thanks Did so much you know, for coming on. On, on oh. YouTube, it's um, just one little factoid that I only found yeah. out. If your video has 1,000 views on YouTube, you've got more views than 88% of videos uploaded to YouTube. Wow. So... It's the same thing with everything. Podcasts, Substacks. What you see is is the, the cream of everything that's being produced. So to fight your way to that top bit, as you've done with Weeks Get Together One Percent, is really, really tricky. I did it in thirty episodes. I mean, it's all I'm saying, guys, because some people you know, London they've got all these London calling fans and it took them years to get there and I said to Toby, hmm, what's the one different variable between London calling and Weeks? <laughs> It's <laughs> the kind of thing I say. I meant me. All right. Thanks so much, Alex. So go to re- reclaim the media. Go to Alexander McCarran on Twitter and check out his new podcast when it comes out. And thanks so much, mate. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks for having me.